The third letter in the Hebrew Aleph base is the letter Gimel. Gimel sounds like a G, a G. And again, the Gimel is only a body, and the soul of the Gimel are the vowels, the nakudos, and therefore the Gimel could be Ga, it could be Ga, it could be Go, it could be Gu, depending on what vowel you put on to the letter Gimel. The graphic design of a gimel says the Talmud that the gimel is like a rich man running to give charity to a poor man. And furthermore, the, the gimel is made up of two letters, the vav and a yud. The vav representing descent or a teacher to a student, a benefactor, to a beneficiary. And then the little dot on the left side of the gimel represents the food or the teaching or the coin or the seed that the benefactor gives to the beneficiary. The gematria of gimel is three. And the meaning of gimel is gomel, which means to nourish and to do acts of goodness and kindness. Gimilut chasadim. There's a famous question, and that is, if Gimel represents the number three, why is it that the Torah was given on Sinai the third month of the year, the month of Sivan? If the Torah is one Torah, given by one God to his one people, it should have been given in the first month of the year, not the third month of the year. So why is the Torah given in the third month of the year? And furthermore, the Torah was given through a third child, which is Moses. It was given to a people of three. The Jewish people are divided to Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim. Kohanites, Levites, and Israelites. And the Torah itself is divided into three parts, which is the five books of Moses, the books of the prophets, and the books of the writings. So why is Torah given based on the number three? And one of the answers is that the number three represents unity in the midst of diversity. In other words, you first start with the letter Aleph, which is God. Then you move on to Bayes, which is Bereshis, creation. So there seems to be a paradox. There seems to be a conflict. On one hand, when you're first born and you go to the yeshiva, they tell you that everything is God. There's nothing in the world outside of God. Then you get older, you get married, you go into the business world, and you see there is things outside of God. There's a world, there's physical things, there's creation, there's computers electricity, there's money. So seemingly, there's a conflict. Is it only God? Or is it all about nature? Is it about creation? Comes the letter Gimel and says, there's no conflict. We have to find the unity in the midst of diversity. That in creation, we have to find God. And that is a greater unity and a greater oneness. And this concept can be understood by the following two stories. 
They tell a story that Aristotle, who was the teacher of Alexander the Great, one evening after class, Alexander had a question, and he went over to the home of Aristotle. And when he entered into the home of Aristotle, he found Aristotle was doing things that were totally unethical. And he asked Aristotle, I don't understand. Is this truly the teacher, Aristotle? Is this the great philosopher, Aristotle? Is this my master, Aristotle? Aristotle told Alexander the Great, when I am in the classroom, when I am teaching you the secrets of the universe, then I am your teacher, then I am your master, then I am your philosopher. But now, when I do these humane animalistic acts, I am not Aristotle the Great. I am not your teacher. I am not your master, nor am I the philosopher. I am not Aristotle. So Aristotle really saw a dichotomy between spirituality and physicality, between intellect and temptation. He wasn't able to unite these two worlds together. So when he was teaching philosophy, now I am Aristotle. When he's doing his own physical human desires or animalistic desires, he has fallen to the level of animal. He's no longer Aristotle the Great, Aristotle the philosopher. In contrast to the story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, who did not learn Torah until the age of 40, became one of the greatest teachers of all Jewish history. And Rabbi Akiva lived during the time of the, the Roman Empire. And in Israel, there was a governor by the name of Tinnus Rufus. And he would very often challenge Rabbi Akiva on different concepts of Torah. For example, why should man circumcise himself? If God is perfect, if God is great, then why do we have to cause our children pain and to diminish their skin? And he would ask such questions. And each time he would debate Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva would outsmart him intellectually. One time his wife, Rafina, who wanted to take revenge for her husband, asked her husband if I can cause Rabbi Akiva to be embarrassed, if I can cause him to sin. And this way we will have our revenge. And uh, Tiris Rufus said, what did you have in mind? And she said, you know, the Jewish people's God, the God of the Jewish people despises promiscuity. So if you allow me to expose myself to Rabbi Akiva, I will cause him to sin, and that will be the biggest mockery for Rabbi Akiva. So they made a plan that Tinnis Rufus would call, that would call Rabbi Akiva to the palace. And as Rabbi Akiva was going into the palace, Rafina would jump out from behind a rose bush and she would uh, expose herself to Rabbi Akiva. So, guards come to Rabbi Akiva's home, that uh, Tinnis Rufus wants to see you. And as he's going to the palace, exactly as was planned, Rafina jumps out. And Rabbi Akiva responded in the following manner. Number one, he spat. Number two, he cried. And number three, he left. 
Rufina said, what are you doing, Rabbi Kiva? I don't understand your actions. Rabbi Kiva said, I spat because a married woman to introduce herself and expose herself to another man is despicable. I cried because this beautiful body of yours one day will die, return to dust, and decompose. And why I laughed, I cannot tell you. Rufina was truly moved by this experience, and she asked Rabbi Kiva, if I could do tshuva, can I repent for my actions? And Rabbi Kiva said, of course you can repent. No matter how evil a person is, they can always return to God, and God is accepting their teshuva, accepts their repentance. She began to study Torah, and she began becoming more religious, and eventually she converted to Judaism, and she married Rabbi Akiva. And that is why Rabbi Akiva laughed, because he saw that one day she would become his wife. Rabbi Akiva understood the, the mystery and the mystical interpretation of the letter Gimel. That yes, there's God, and yes, there's a world and temptation, but yet man has the power to overcome his temptation. And that is by bringing God into everything that one does. The meaning of Gimel is gemoyal, is kindness, acts of kindness. Now, it's important to note that when we give charity to the poor and we do acts of kindness, in Hebrew, this is called tzedakah. It's not called charity. Charity means a benefactor giving to a beneficiary. You have mercy, you feel bad for the person, you have extra, you have excess, and therefore you want to share it with other people. That is not the meaning of tzedakah. Tzedakah means righteousness, doing the right thing. What does that mean? In essence, according to Torah and according to Kabbalah, 10% of your earnings must go to the poor person. It's not that you're giving the poor person your money, but to begin with, God deposited this 10% or this 20% by you. And then when the poor man comes or the poor woman comes, you have to give that 10% to them. So you're not doing them any favors. You're doing the right thing. You're giving them what belongs to them. So that is the idea of tzedakah, which is righteousness to do the right thing. Furthermore, we are told more than the rich man does for the poor man by giving charity, the poor man does for the rich man. Because by the fact that the poor man accepts your charity, what happens is God blesses the rich man ten times more. So if you give a thousand dollars to charity, God blesses you with ten thousand dollars. If you give a hundred thousand to tzedakah, to charity, God blesses you with a million dollars. So you're not doing him any favors, he's doing you a favor. And furthermore, God blesses you with long life and with health and nachas on your children, etc., etc., etc. So therefore, it's not about charity, you're not doing him any favors. Rather, it's righteousness, it's the right thing to do. Furthermore, the letter Gimel is made up of a vav, and the Yud. 
A vav has the gematria of six. The letter yud has the gematria of ten. The vav represents the rich man giving the poor man, and the yud represents the poor man receiving from the rich man. And when you have that connection, you bring God into that relationship. So therefore you have 16 plus God, Aleph, which is one, you have 17. And that is the same gematria as the word Sod, which is the concept of bonding in the ten attributes. Hoid, and then you have Yesoid. Yesoid in the Mispar Koton, in the smaller Gematria, which means you drop the zeros, equals 17. So what is this concept when you give to someone else, which is bonding with another person, you have now the number 17, which is you, the other person, and God. So this is the meaning of the letter Gimel. To give charity to others. As the Rambam says, the highest level of charity is that you become a partner with the poor person. You give him a job so that he not feel embarrassed every time you give him the money. And by doing that, you create a true partnership between you and the poor person. That is truly bonding. That is truly chesed. That is truly the meaning of the letter Gimel.